Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, and I am fired up for you that don't know this. We are going to be doing our very first conference in Amarillo, Texas, Sunday, July 28th, from 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. Yes, I did say 1 to 10. It is going to be an enormous long day. So I want to give you the lineup. We're going to have Christy Austin. She's going to be speaking about kingdom transformation in the community. We have Bob Hassan, who also will be talking about people discovering how to honor can transform people's lives in their organizations. We're going to have Michael McIntyre from Dallas. He's helping people change mindsets and going to the next level in life. And then yours truly, I'm going to be releasing my very first, first, I said first, actually second book and how to speak God's words over your life and see radical transformation. And then here's the best part. Our friend Sean Bowles is going to be coming in and wrapping up the entire conference. So that being said, I'm going to hand it over to yours truly. Sean, take it away, my friend. I can't believe you said I'm the best part. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be talking about hearing God's voice for your, your world around you, especially business leaders, entrepreneurs. We're going to talk about hearing God's voice for real, for real, like we need to. Like you have to be a prophet if you're going to go in the marketplace. You have to hear from God. And so we're going to talk about, and when I say prophet, I don't mean in the weird, old, charismatic, Pentecostal. I'm saying we have to be a friend of God to know what he wants. And he he planned and pre-planned all these industries and all these things, our whole city, our whole nation, way before we ever entered into it, way before we ever manifested. So how do we hear his original plan and bring alignment between what was in his original heart and what we see today? And so we're going to, we're going to talk about discerning his heart, knowing his heart, hearing his heart. And it's going to be revolutionary. It's going to be great. All right, Roar Nation. So check it out. Get on areyoureal.org. You can get on Eventbrite. It is the Kingdom Conference. Get your tickets. We're running some discounts. You get some of Sean's e-course. You get his book, my book. And uh, anyways, it's going to be a phenomenal time. So please get on there now. Get tickets while you can and have a blessed day. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, fired up for today's episode, always talking about great topics. It's going to be even more interesting because today I've seemed like I've been at a loss of words this morning, so who knows what we're going to get. always makes it fun and interesting, but that being said, I'm excited. We have Jay and Lori Pyatt coming at you live today. And what I love about this is they are certified relationship mentors who help people after betrayal. Now, being married now for uh, 21 years, and I've been with uh, Casey for 22, I can't think of anything harder and more rewarding than marriage. But that being said, you have to fight and work for a good relationship. So I think we're going to dive into a lot of good stuff today. Okay, so that being said, Jay and Lori, are you guys ready to roar? Yes, we definitely are. Okay. So why don't you guys dive in um, to a little bit of your background? Let's back up a little bit. Um, um, you guys decide who wants to go first, and I'll just kind of ask questions back and forth. But okay. just kind of a little bit about who y'all are now and what you do. Okay. Uh, now, um, I have been helping guys to overcome pornography addiction, 
sexual sin in their life and rebuild trust in their marriage um, after all of that comes out. And this is based on my own 38 year relationship with pornography and the thousands of lies I told Lori and, and all of the damage I did to our marriage. And out of that, I help other guys navigate this extremely painful and challenging process to rebuild their marriage. And I help women um, after betrayal. It, it's not just pornography betrayal. Um, I'm actually helping one woman now who's undergone some pretty severe financial betrayal. Um, and we both work with them as individuals for several months before we bring them together because um, we follow the betrayal trauma model, <laughs> which is much different than like the codependent model, which you'd normally see, um, which is normally followed uh, uh, to, to tackle this issue. But what we've seen is the trauma model is very, very effective. Um, it actually gets gets the woman to a better life much, much more quickly, like within months instead of decades. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so during, um, I'm trying to think, uh, it's always interesting for me because when I get to interview two people, I, I go from having one per question to now I have multiple, my brain gets going. <laughs> so um, I always ask for like an inspirational quote or scripture. So, uh, Jay, let's go to you. Just during this journey, has there been a scripture that's kind of been a foundational uh, point for you? Yeah, the, the scripture that comes to mind for me is, I have graven you upon my hand. Um, for me, the damage that I did in my marriage, the damage that I did to Lori and in my own life, kind of left me in this place of feeling like um, I cannot be saved. Uh, um, that scripture reminds me that God was really serious about his relationship with me to the point <clears throat> that he would carve his, my name in his hand. <clears throat> Sorry, a little, little emotional in this because yeah. it is uh, a good reminder for me that I am saved. I am redeemable. And it's just the voice of shame. It's the voice of the enemy that would tell me that I'm not. Um, I'm taking notes here, but I want to ask you that that was really good. Actually, obviously that hits a, a really soft spot for you. Um, Jay, you, you said you felt like, obviously you felt a lot of shame in this yeah. stuff. Oh, and, and I can hear that. And obviously, but I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason it brings so much emotion is because you recognize the grace and how much love Christ has for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. real quick, why don't you kind of explain that revelation of that? Because it doesn't matter if it's pornography, drug abuse. Um, there's so many things people feel that's the tactic mm -hmm. of the enemy is to mm -hmm. lie to us and to use shame to right. convince us. Why don't you, um, open up that box of how you caught the revelation of his love? Uh, well, it was twofold, John, because 
really, I needed Lori to first show me that someone would accept me, you know, when I, when I put all of my stuff out on the table, that someone would accept me in this world. And it was really, a, there was a moment about three and a half or four years into our healing that she and I sat down and she asked me some very pointed questions about my relationship with God at that point, because in all of my sin, I kept thinking that my relationship with God was fine. And I was lying to him every day and abusing his grace every day. And when she talked to me about that, I, I remember the moment sitting yeah. in our bedroom on the floor and just that spiritual moment, you know, between the three of us, really, that I, I finally felt like God could love me because, you know, I was shown that grace through Lori, but I was also, you know, clean and open and ready to kind of hear from God and not just listening to that voice of shame anymore. Yeah. Um, Lori, I'm really curious. I want to bring you in. Uh, I, I can already tell my script is going to get so messy. That's <laughs> the direction we're going. But Lori, the question that comes to my mind is, how were you able to come to a place of being able to receive that? Because I, I just, I can't even imagine, it's so hard. And then I know my wife and I have been through a lot of different things, but you had to be able to accept them to say, I'm hurt but I love you enough to move forward. There was some stuff that you really had to work through. You want to talk about that? Yeah. You have to understand the first 15 marriage, first 15 years of our marriage, it was a very hot topic. Uh, we couldn't talk about it. I, I was just like, you know, I want you to understand how much this hurts. Cause if you understand that, then you might, it might be more of a motivation for you to get to where you say you want to be with this struggle. And uh, I would bring that kind of thing up, but it would quickly escalate into an explosion on his end. So it became a, a topic we couldn't talk about. And I did, you know, I watched my codependency and I had more faith, did all the traditional things. But after 15 years, I realized that gave us a marriage that was on the brink of divorce. And so after this last, what we call D-Day, where he, he admitted to lying to my face for four years straight every night, uh, I said, you know, give me some time. I need to process things because I don't know if I like you enough to stay at this point. Yeah. Because he, during that first conversation after that D-Day, he said some very, very hurtful things about me. And so I withdrew and I asked God, all right, I said, you know, God, if you want me to stay, I've got to do this differently because doing it the traditional way, doing it the right way, the way that looks right to everybody else has enabled him and has given us a marriage that's about to split up. And so I did, I felt like once I said that, I felt the green light go off in my heart. And it was almost like, God was saying, finally, finally, somebody who's going to do this a different way and actually get traction. So 
then I, I went into kind of research mode and over time through a series of like two step forward, one step back or one step forward, five steps back, um, we cleared up our major issues to the point where we were doing really well. You know, our first two years of marriage, we didn't really have a honeymoon period. We fought about this issue for the first six months. And then they put me on antidepressants and I zoned out for the next, you know, for the next 18 months. So our first two years were not typical honeymoon period. So we've had several years now where we do feel like we've, you know, God has restored those years, the years that the locusts have eaten. So it was, it was mainly just kind of getting fed up. And, and, and another thing I was doing over the first 15 years is talking to other women and they weren't getting much traction in their relationships either with this issue, doing it the traditional way. And I just saw relationship after relationship, just kind of falling apart yet the women were told they really couldn't do anything about the pain that they felt. Okay, you keep saying, I've heard you say a couple of times, traditional way. Yep. So why don't you explain to me and our listeners, so if somebody, or what is the traditional way that I guess that's out there? So I, The tr- traditional way in the church I've seen is, well, you really can't do anything about it. Some pastors will say, or, or, you know, counselors within the church will say you're doing something wrong, basically. And that's, that's basically the traditional way in a nutshell. The codependent model was, that's what you'll see in the, the therapy side of things, the, the professional side of things. That was created by men studying men, and it kind of works well with men, but with women, it doesn't really work. The thing is, if a woman hears you have to work on your codependency, she will go to town on it. And she will actually, the women I've talked to that have done that have kind of killed it. You know, they've, they've, they've erased the codependency in the relationships where uh, they do need to have some distance and boundaries. But here, in, the, in here, you know, in the marriage, there's supposed to be a, an interdependency. So, you know, the, the, the traditional approach on both sides, both, uh, well, the third side would be the um, 12-step groups where they would say, clean up your side of the street. Well, I clean mine up pretty well. I don't, I don't mean to be bragging about it, but, you know, right. even therapists I've run into or, or you know, I've, I've gone to have said, Lori, you have tackled this. You've tackled your stuff. But he keeps messing up, like his mess, because you're on the same, you know, you're on the same side of the street, basically. His mess keeps falling onto yours. It's that that we need to focus on now. It's the trauma of that. Right. And, and it's also, you know, it's not just the porn. It's the lying. And right. then what I call the everything else, it's actually the bottom part, the everything else that makes p- women start going insane, like literally insane, PTSD, don't know which way is up, can't even trust my own senses. And when a woman can't trust their own senses, she can no longer hear from God. And that's the dangerous part. Yeah. Okay, so I want to jump into your mess, Jay. So I'm really <laughs> curious because that's really interesting. So at this point, Lori's, I, I like the analogy, she's cleaned up her side of the street. She's moving forward, but you're not. What's holding you back? Why? Uh, 
So, John, I'm I uh, I'm a really good bad example <laughs> to other men. <laughs> well, that's usually how I learn: is I look around and I say, "That's what I don't want." So, yeah. how do I get yeah. a different uh, outcome? Right, right. So, my mess, my misbelief, my uh, grandparents. So both. Both sets of my grandparents, uh, one set was married for 58 years, and one set was married for 77 years. One of them had a decent relationship. One had a, they never slept in the same room. You know, they tolerated each other. And I thought that's all marriage was going to be, was decades of tolerating each other and kind of sharing each other's space and I don't know, going out to dinner together, but not really knowing what a good relationship looked like. I kept thinking, I'm going to put all this effort in and I'm going to do all this work. And not really that Lori was saying this, but I just heard it in my head. She's going to say, well, that's nice, but it's not good enough, Mm -hmm. you know, or now that you've done all of that, let's do just a little bit more. He kept saying it was, it's a moving target. It's yeah, it's, it's going to be a moving target. And, and oddly enough, the, the year that all of this came out, um, I was training to run my first marathon. And the conversations we were having were more exhausting than <laughs> my marathon training. Oh, yeah. I, I understand that. You know, it was, mm-hmm. and, and it was so alien to me. All of that time that I spent looking at pornography was time that most other people spent figuring out how relationships work, how to interact with other people, and, and all of that freaked me out. So I would isolate and I would look at pornography. And then when it came to really tough conversations, again, I would check out or really when it came to really tough conversations between me and Lori, I would just get angry. Because anger is a, is a really good way of telling the other person to shut up. I don't yep. want to talk about this. And, and that's where I went. And I didn't have this vision of, of what marriage could be. And so once Lori kind of shared that with me, that no, that, yeah, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't marry for your grandparents. <laughs> yeah, I didn't marry to get what your grandparents yeah. have. I want something completely so much better than that. And so I tell people people we're on marriage 2.0 now we we took everything past the foundation you know we went under Mm. the foundation and dug out all the stumps and the stones and we laid a new foundation and built from there and now we have a marriage that that i never thought possible Mm -hmm. that's awesome okay jay i want to ask you this you um you mentioned that you checked out and these are my notes but you basically you checked out of tough conversations Yep. Why? Oh, because I was going to do more harm than good. You know, I didn't, I, it, it was like getting in the ring with Mike Tyson. She is so much better at talking relationally and, and communication. And she would start talking to me and I, we would get three or four words in and my brain would stop trying to figure out what it was she just said. And five minutes later, she's looking at me for a response and, and I just start talking and, 
and it makes everything worse. It's <laughs> my perception, you know, it's just every time I open my mouth, I make things worse. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And so it'd be better if we just stop these conversations altogether. Okay. So how did you guys overcome that? And it, either one of you can answer that. Cause I'm just thinking my wife and I have been in this process for the last three years. So it's, it's really, it hits home and it's funny because you, you mm -hmm. talked about running the marathon. And uh, I remember we, we, uh, we came to a point where Casey and I would sit at night and we'd have these conversations in bed. We'd sit there and talk and they were like so physically exhausting. Like they were painful for like two months, but, it, but I can't, ex the only way I can explain it, we, I work out on a physical basis and I played college sports. Like it was that mentally exhausting, but then it, yet after two months, our marriage has never been better but like to get there, it was like going straight up a mountain. It wasn't like gradual. Like I literally wanted to throat punch myself <laughs> because I was like, I cannot do this. But I kept on telling myself, I have to do this. Right. So, um, so I'm relating. I'm just laughing, thinking about listening to you guys. How did you over like for you guys? Because I'm sure there is. 90% of the people listening has been married for any sort of time are having to learn to communicate. It's a process. Right. How did you guys start to get over that? Because a lot of it, Jay, it sounds like it, it was you mentally thinking it was changing your mindset. Yeah. For me, it was finding like a million different ways to say the same thing okay. or the same few things. And that's what a lot of my research was about. Like, okay, how do we get through this particular hot topic that we've had for the last 15 years. Um, and, and you have to understand that that's a lot of what I see in the relationships we work with, that the woman is very tenacious and she, she with all relationships, there's like six or seven things that are the, the, the sticky points. And if they can get beyond those, then they're going to be good. But for the women, I mean, you guys talk about, Talk about, you know, running a, a, a marathon or running a marathon up a mountain. Imagine pulling a man up a ladder for 26 miles, 26.2 miles. That's what it feels like for us to the point where women are like, I can't tell him one more time what I need. I've told him for decades. And so for, you know, on my end, I had to learn how to say it in a way that he would hear. I had to learn that when I come with emotion, that sets him off. So I need to be, you know, kind of dial my emotion back. Um, and like I learned to come with scripts because I would say, this, these are my concerns and these are our goals and let's come up with a plan. And he'd be like, well, you're saying I've done this. And I'd have to go back to the script and say no. And then read the script again. That's what I said. Well, you're saying I said this. No, this is what I said here. And it, I think that's when he started realizing I'm hearing something. You've heard of rose-colored glasses. I told him you have like poop colored earmuffs when you talk to me or when I talk to you because it you it if I thought that negatively about you I would be gone you're not that 
bad. I'm just trying to get both of us where we want to go. Yeah. And, and what I've learned since is that, you know, we're all the same from conception to eight weeks gestation. So our brains are all the same, but then the boy's brain gets washed in testosterone and it kind of washes away the relationship and communication parts of the brain. This is all based on uh, Luanne Brizendine's research at Yale and Harvard, uh, author and researcher. Um, and so what happens is when in, like any, any emotion gets presented to the guy, he sees it as aggression because that's very hardwired to handle aggression. So that's why I had to kind of scale back with my emotionality. I didn't know that back then, but it makes complete sense as to why God gave me that tool back then because it really worked. And although it's, you know, working with the ladies, I'm like, vent to me, vent to me, vent to me. You know, like if you guys can, can stop a lot of the relational conversations for the first few months, this will go a lot quicker. So vent to me, and then we will put together a script that can can keep him from getting triggered. You know, you can call him higher without putting him down or making him feel like he's being put down, so, which is very difficult to do. I mean, it took us three and a half years to really start getting this down, um, which, you know, why, which is why it's really good to have a mentor that can help you reframe things i even i even did research on how to reframe sentences so people don't get triggered there was nothing out there for that i did so much research trying to find it there was nothing about that out there so yeah that's really interesting yeah if you do any research at all about words and how they trigger emotions i I do a lot of reading on buying habits so it's just even interesting when you think about how much uh, words are used for buying habits for marketing it makes sense for that um so Jay, so what I'm hearing is what you heard and what she was saying were polar opposites, right? And right. I think I have that issue. Uh, I'm assuming, and you guys uh, counsel a lot of couples, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of men have this issue. Okay. Right. So yeah. I'm seeing your head nod. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our yeah. listeners understand why I said that. Right. So my question is, uh, how do men overcome what they're hearing and the truth that's being said? Because that is like mental gymnastics. Right. Right. Uh, the, the biggest part of this, especially when the guy has done something horrible is that you know, so many times Lori would bring something to me and, and I honestly said this to her. I said, I cannot think of a reason why you're bringing this to me other than to make me feel bad. You know, you're bringing something up to me that I've already apologized for. It's three or four years ago. I said, I was sorry then. Why are you bringing it back up? If, you know, all I can think is you just want me to feel bad. And the reality is it hurt. She was bringing me her pain 
And so I tell the guys I work with, you have to hear the invitation behind the accusation. It will sound like an accusation, whether that's the voice of shame or the voice of the enemy that is twisting those words. It will sound like you did something wrong instead of this is something that hurts. And if, um, so I had a client not too long ago, he was on a trampoline and he fell on his daughter and broke her arm. And if his daughter came to him with her broken arm and said, dad, it really itches. He would have an interaction with her that's like, oh, I am so sorry that it itches and I'm so sorry that I broke your arm. But when I broke Lori's heart and she would come to me and say, Jay, it hurts, I would say, stop asking, stop telling me that it hurts because I kept thinking it was a reflection of me and not the pain that I had caused. Right. And, and so when it's this emotional type pain, it's hard to see that that wound still needs to be healed. Still, you know, like you would, you would kiss your child's knee if they scraped it. I needed to kiss Lori's heart, you know, many, many times to heal these wounds. And, you know, when she would bring it to me, of course, I, I was just like, that means you're still, you're still mad at me. There's still something wrong with me. And I don't, you know, I didn't know how to deal with it. So the invitation and the accusation and seeing past the, the emotion and hearing the pain of what, what's really going on. And that's tricky. <laughs> you know, it's hard for guys to do. So I want to talk about some of the journey after, because I think, I mean, we could go into so much the psychology of it and all the things you guys mm -hmm. differ through, but what I want people to hear also is just the reward of it, as I think what we're obviously we're talking about a lot of pain. There's it's difficult. I know my wife and I last couple of years have had to walk through some stuff. But what I found was is I can honestly say these last five years of our marriage have been a hundred times better than our first fifteen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and 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 I think it's hard for people to realize that though because they think well you start off in this honeymoon phase our honeymoon phase sucked and mm -hmm. it, but it's been amazing. But I think it's opposite for most people. Right. And I want you guys to talk about like the reward of what you guys have fought for, because you have, you've had to intentionally fight for your marriage, but there's a reward for it. That's what I want to hear about. I have a great uh, moment to share. We were at a recovery group and he went to his group and, you know, we, we meet as a big body beforehand and, he and I both noticed what I call an HT, which is his type. He's definitely got a type and I'm not it, which, you know, that's a whole different conversation. But um, an HT walked in and, and he said, I know, I know she's there. And so he, he did his thing to avoid looking in that direction. But then we, we broke up into our own groups. And at this point, we were fairly healed. And uh, later, after we got back together, he said, I was walking down the hall. And the other that the HT was walking by and my mind immediately went to you. And he said, it's like we were together when we weren't together. And I was like, oh, you know, and up till then I knew he, he had done some things in his life 
And I knew I was his one and only. I knew I was his own one and only, but it was like in that moment, he understood it too, you know? So besides that, I mean, we, we go on adventures and even if it's a wrong turn or like traffic, getting stuck in traffic, well, let's go take an adventure over here. And um, for me, it's like, he's living again before he would come home and sit in front of, you know, sit on the couch uh, in front of some entertainment and I even remember him saying, uh, somebody asked him what his purpose in life was. And he said his purpose in life was to be entertained. And I'm like, what? What? I mean, that just took my breath away. And so uh, there was a, a sweet moment, a sweet year, year and a half during our uh, really early on in our healing years where he was going on a lot of trips for work. And so he would invite me to go with him and we'd extend it. You know, we'd have a week-long vacation on the end of that. And we'd see orcas and we see uh, the tall trees, the the redwoods and the sequoias and the ocean and breaching whales and sunsets. And it, it was fun expanding his world like that because I've always been into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so just to live life together. And I mean, some of our favorite things is to sit out and watch. We used to keep bees. And one of the favorite things we used to do was just watch bees, you know, watch the bees or go out in the back and watch the birds. And it's so much nicer not having just a TV relationship with him now. Yeah. I'm just curious. Uh, uh, what age did you guys get married? 20, I was 24. I was 28. Yeah. Okay, so still fairly young. My wife and I were 18 and 20. Um, But we always joke around with the thing is you're still growing up. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like you're still trying to figure out who you are in the midst of trying to figure out uh, what this, what marriage is supposed to look like. And and even worse, if you haven't had the example of a good marriage, you're trying to figure out what it actually looks like and how to do it and try to figure out who you are in the midst of all that. Mm -hmm. Right. And Um, the problem is we only knew each other five months before we got married. Each other two months before he popped the question. And then, um, we'd even discussed possibly getting married, you know, at three months months earlier. Yeah. But, uh, due to a, a, an issue at work, we couldn't, um, but yeah, five months. And, Getting married early, getting married, you know, early in life, getting married early in the relationship, I wouldn't say that's wrong. I just say it definitely makes it more difficult. Yeah. Laura, I want to ask you this. I'm really curious. I'm going back to your story that you shared. So uh, I've never heard it called his type before. And that was (laughs) when you said that and he made to you, I thought of you. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's the first time you really felt uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just thinking I like valued. Like it was almost like I've heard my wife say it. Like, I just want to feel like the only woman in the room, like I'm the mm-hmm. apple of your eye. Like I get it. Mm-hmm. How did you feel? Like, was that a turning point for you in the mirror of, um, it was, I can't say it was a turning point. I think it happened before that. Um, you know, he was doing some things on his end, uh, be- because he had, very much made his porn use about my looks. Um, you know, the, the few sentences he said, 
just a few, you know, a couple minutes into his confession at the last D-Day was the reason I turned back to porn was because you don't look like that and you don't put yourself out there like that. And I knew I wasn't his type. He told me that, you know, fairly early on. Um, but to, to hear that was just devastating to me. And I mean, he told me some other really, really hurtful things a lot, um, after that. And so I really had to come into my own and go, okay, that's just your opinion. I know God thinks I'm beautiful. Yeah. Honestly, there are some guys out there that think I'm beautiful too. I've seen it in their faces. Not that I'm looking for that, but when I dress for you and you don't notice, but they do, unfortunately, they healed me instead of you. Yeah. But because of the pain of that, because of the pain that, the, the enemy has never said that kind of thing to me, but he did. So the pain of that, I knew, had to be a healing between us. And so that was one of our six or seven things, you know. And so we, we talked about it, and we talked about it, and we talked about it. And I told him, like, how much women need to feel desired after this. And, and how even for women in general desire is just about as important as the orgasm is. Yeah. So, um, and, and then we walk through, this is what, this is what will tell me you desire me because he did. I know he did. You know, there were signs our counselor said, if this happens, he does desire you. Um, what, what are then, those? What are those? Cause I, I think guys, guys need to hear that. Um, Basically, the counselor said, if you guys are together and he gets an erection, he desires you. Now, <laughs> like with PI, there is a thing called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. That, that's a thing. And it's actually why the world, the guys in the world are turning from porn more quickly than, than possibly the guys in, in, not in, you know, in the church. Um, that's a different dynamic. So I don't want the women listening thinking, oh, my gosh, he or, you know, just age-related erectile dysfunction, different story. But, but then he said, you know, he needs to, what was the term? It was kind of, I can't, it was this term that we've used so many times. I can't believe I'm blanking on it now, but he basically needs to show you his desire. You drive me crazy outside the bedroom. And that's, and then he's like, you know, you can't give her the same compliments you used to. You have to give her different, different compliments with it and, and show them, show emotion with them. That will show her you desire her. Right. And Jay was really kind of embarrassed. Him being a guy, he really didn't know what to say, you know, with this because it, it was like, but we were given the permission he was given the permission to desire me with a desire that were, that just bordered on lust, you know, and it's like, Jay, no, that's okay. You can do that. So for him, it was such a mental switch to know, okay, what's holy and what's okay in marriage because anything that looked outside the norm of what he, he felt like was okay uh, seemed like the part of him that he needed to hide. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Um, Jay, I'm laughing because I have foot and mouth syndrome. <laughs> and I'm thinking you, 
and uh, I'm thinking there's many times I've said stuff. I just thought, uh, as, as I've heard it, I think, it, um, I can't remember the counselor said that, but he says, uh, how's that working out for you? Yeah. Um, and usually not very well. How did you start as a, as a man? Um, how did you start working through that? Because you really have to think about what, what you say and what you think. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes stuff comes out of my mouth. That's not necessarily what I mean. Right. And I say really stupid things sometimes. And my wife's like, or in the past I would hurt her and I would think, Oh my gosh, that's, I know how she took it, but that's not what I meant. Right. Um, right. How, how were you able to start working through that process of bringing healing to your wife and really using your words properly? Uh, <laughs> wow. You just asked the, the million dollar question right there. The, a lot of it was realizing I have to practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is something I have to practice. I have to get better at this. And this is not something they teach in school. This is not something they teach in church. This is something you learn by interacting with other people. So you have to practice it. And giving myself permission to fail. So many guys, you know, I, the, the three most difficult words for men to say are not, I love you, but I need help, you know, and we're so oriented toward not failing, not screwing things up that sometimes when we practice, you know, it's okay to be bad at playing an instrument you've never played but it's not okay at being bad at communicating with my wife. You should just kind of like know how to do that. So there were a whole lot of conversations that started off with Lori, here's where I'm going. I'm trying to say this and here's, here's how I'm going to say it. And she would be like, okay, I kind of get where you were going with that, but this or that might've been better. And so I had to let her coach me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, honestly, I have a well, built-in coach in my life to yeah. tell me, here's how communication works with me. And as long as I was humble, mm-hmm. and that is so hard. You know, it's so hard to be humble in this relationship and say, my wife knows more about this than I do. And I've just got to let her say, you know, typically when people are in this kind of conversation, they wouldn't say it that way. Yeah, or or I, I heard it this way, so I'm going to give you another shot yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. to yeah. say it over again. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, like the like little kids playing baseball, it's like, okay, guys, do over, yeah. do over, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of do-over conversations. <laughs> yeah, there's been uh, several times where my wife and I have had conversations, and I've literally, coming from the other angle, though, I've... I've had to tell her lately, just said, this is what I heard you say. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. I think it's wrong because this is, I don't think you would hurt me this way. What are you actually trying to say? Because I'm feeling attacked, but I know you well enough to know you're not attacking me. What are you actually saying? You, right. you bring up an interesting, where I go with that. And I love that you can do that. My husband though, had been bullied as a child even by, by people who were supposed to love him or a, a person who was supposed to you know, be his pal. Um, so he did think I was out to attack him. I mean, I would, yeah. I would mistakenly 
hit him or bump into him and he would turn around like, what are you doing? You know, like he would turn around in attack mode and I was like, what is up with that? And then God kind of told me it's because he's been bullied. So he did hear attack. He was used to being attacked by people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so one of the big problems that I had while I was the liar and the perpetrator in the relationship, the reality is I didn't trust Lori. Right. I didn't, I honestly really didn't trust anybody. And that made me flip my lid. Yeah. Yeah. I have been faithful to you. I have shunned all advances. Yeah. She's, she is totally trustworthy, but my relationships up until Lori had given me the belief that sharing things with other people just gives them ammunition. And so I was not vulnerable with her. I was not open with her. And because of that, I wasn't known. So going back to what you said about, you know, what is the reward? The reward for me is being known and accepted as me. You know, I, you know, I I love the name of your podcast. Are you real? I'm so real now because she knows me. She accepts me. I've got nothing to hold back. There's nothing anybody can blackmail me with because it's all oh, out, there. out there. And and people accept me with that. And that is so awesome to finally, you know, after all those decades of shame telling me, if if they really knew, they'd leave. If they really knew, they'd go get the torches and pitchforks and drive you out of town. And being fully known is like, you know, being let out of prison. It's just like nobody, nobody can like do that to me anymore. Um, where I, where I just feel like I'm, I'm unacceptable. I'm, I'm acceptable. Even with all my flaws and all the awful stuff I've done, I can own that and I can be okay. And so that to me is just this huge reward of relief and relationship. And um, so I've taken us off track, but you know, you talked about rewards and that was my reward. No, I think that's really good. Cause you know what that made me think of is just how marriage is supposed to be a depiction of our relationship with God. Absolutely. And when Absolutely. we think, about how he is towards us. We have, we constantly sin and we run away and we get outside of his will for us, but he's constantly wooing and loving us back. And I think when we can come at our marriage from the viewpoint is I'm going to love this person no matter what, with all their flaws or whatever, and we can be open about it. That gives us the freedom to be who God's called us to be, not the freedom to be who we are, because sometimes who we are is not who God intended us to be, Mm -hmm. but allows us the freedom to step into who God's called us to be because um, all of us are a work in progress. Mm -hmm. But anytime we can't be open uh, with who we currently are, it allows the enemy to beat beat us up and we end up staying in that shame box. So, um, I have so many, so we, man, we get so sidetracked. You guys just talk, I said, my brain just starts going everywhere. So 
Guys, um, as we wrap up the show, I, I do want to ask you, um, I can't skip this question. I say that every show because I never, there is one question I never skip. So uh, mm-hmm. you guys, um, I'll, I'll start with you, Jay. Uh, if you could go back to the younger you, Jay, what age would you go back to? What advice would you give yourself? You can't change anything. You're still going to go through everything you've gone through, but you're going to give yourself uh, a Tony Robbins pep talk. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, believe it or not, <laughs> I'm a pretty emotional guy. Um, I would go back to, I would go back to that little kid. Who knew he had a secret when he was five years old? That that first exposure to porn. And just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this happened to you. And let that kid know that those secrets were going to be a poison in his life and that there would be someone he could share them with. Um, That's good. Okay, Lori? I would probably go back to... I don't know, 9, 10, 11, when I started kind of waking up and realizing the world is not a great, the greatest place. (laughs) The world is not the greatest place in the world. Um, And I would just say, don't believe all the lines that people tell you. Listen to God. And even if you do listen to them, it's going to be okay. God will see to it. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Amen. All right, guys. I love uh, I love your story. I love the passion. Obviously, you're very passionate about what you do. Uh, just with the emotion behind it, there's a lot of. Uh, well, you guys had me teared up several times. So, uh, I love your passion for it. How do we find? There's a lot of listeners um, out there. Um, if you're in, if you're in relationship at all, <laughs> if you breathe, if you're alive. Uh, we all have relationship issues. Where do we find, get a hold of you guys and find um, just the programs, counseling, stuff that y'all are doing? How do we get a hold of you? On that? Um, they can go to thecouplecure.com. Yeah, remember to put the word the in front of it. There's, yeah, there's another couplecure.com out there, but we're thecouplecure.com. Not yes. that we think, hey, we're the. Co- <laughs> anyway, yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little, little better than a couple cure. But um, uh, yeah. Go there, and then there will be a Start Here button uh, if you don't really know where to go because we also have two other websites that are dedicated solely to betrayal recovery. Uh-huh. Um, so just kind of dig around in there. Um, it'll lead you to our podcast. It'll lead you to our video uh, channel. Um, it'll lead you to a bunch of blogs. There's a ton of free content, um, especially on on the other two websites but that'll be the that that'll be the starting point and there's like on each website there's a free guide yeah that you can one is called the eight 
eight ways to avoid to get out of the rut or avoid it altogether. And then I have on the betrayal side for females, it's um, seven tools women rarely find. And then Jay has a, what's the I have a browser setup guide. So mm -hmm. when you get on the internet and you're handed all these photos and all this, all these oh, images, I have a way to shut down most of those to kind of keep, keep that out of our eyeballs. Yeah. Okay. Um, Lori, uh, for fun, I'm going to give you the last word. Okay. So what I want to give you, uh, just a piece of parting advice. I think most relationships, uh, I think it's men that are just stupid. So, um, <laughs> I say that from personal experience. Yeah. So I'm saying that to say, Lori, what is, um, just an encouraging to encourage the women out there. Um, just a piece of parting advice to maybe either going through this or been through this. Um, just some okay. advice give for it. the women specifically. Yes, yes. Okay. For the women. Um, understand that you're not crazy. If this hurts, understand it's allowed to hurt. Jesus said it could. Um, there is help out there. Be careful with the help you go to. If you feel un like misunderstood or blamed in any way, then keep looking. Um, because that's the typical response you'll get. So, uh, yeah, that's what I would say. You're not alone. You are not alone. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of women going through the same exact thing that you are. Um, and there's hope. There's a lot of hope. Yeah. Amen. All right, y'all. Well, hold on just a second as we wrap up the show. We're a nation. I hope that spoke to you. Um, if you know anybody right now uh, that's married or in relationship, so that should be about 100% of who you know, I just encourage you to share this podcast because it doesn't matter if you're married uh, or thinking about getting married. Relationship is probably the hardest thing you'll ever go through, but also the most rewarding, but it takes time. Um, just like Jay talked about training for a marathon, um, it takes effort. And if you want to see the fruit of um, being able to finish, you're going to have to train for it. So uh, that being said, uh, guys, please go on iTunes, rate and review us, uh, share, get the word out of Are You Real? And uh, also, this will probably be the last episode before our conference. So if you get a chance, don't forget July 28th in Amarillo, Texas, having a huge conference. Uh, there will be hundreds of people there. Please get on and uh, sign up. Uh, uh, you can check that out on areyoureal.org and uh, get your tickets. So anyways, War Nation, love y'all. Be blessed. Uh, remember, be real, be authentic, and be God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.